Welcome to the Portable Pulpit. Let's go. What's up, family? This is Colby Corso on the pod, and today we're talking about family discipleship. Um, out the gate, I am working on, in our church in Colorado, um, some classes, some some ways to approach uh, training and equipping families uh, to make disciples of their own children. And so as I've been kind of reading through this, and I um, try to read one parenting book a year just because I'm terrible at it. Uh, I try to read one marriage book a year. And I've just finished uh, Faith Driven Family by Vody Bachman, which I highly recommend to you. There's some things where uh, I really am just full on in agreement, and some other things where I have some questions. So I'm processing um, as a shepherd um, how do I uh, not only disciple my own kids, but also how do I train other people to do that? And um, right up front, I have to say, um, my experience kind of being raised with pagan parents, parents that didn't follow the Lord, um, is that I didn't really get to experience this or live this growing up myself. And so um, for me, I did have some godly grandparents who helped me out and who um, you know, spoke some things in my life, um, taught me to read and uh, from the scriptures and things. But as far as actually having family discipleship and family worship, um, for me, it was strange to me. So when I started following the Lord um, as in my adulthood, um, I began very quickly to have to go at other guys and say, you know, what does it mean to be a man? Starting right there. Had to go, and uh, once I got married, um, it wasn't just about me and my personal um, health and walk with the Lord, but how do we walk with the Lord? You hear me? And so if it was, it had a certain uh, complexity and it looked a certain way when it was just me um, trying to stay healthy before Jesus, when you add this woman into the equation and we get married and um, the point of marriage is being one in the glory of God, um, it, it takes on a different shape. It takes on, you know, how do we do this thing together? And so um, out the gate, my wife and I started just studying the Bible together, praying together, um, making out because we're married folk. And inevitably, uh, not long after we were married, we had our first kid. And so now, I and I still remember this, um, I, w- I felt when I brought my son home, Malachi, my oldest son, um, I when I brought him home, I felt so much like a kid, having a kid, and I felt like there was so much um, that I didn't know. I felt ill-equipped um, to know exactly, um, you know, what are all the things that God has for me as a father. And so I just leaned in on him and trusted him. And at the same time, like, I tried to grab up other guys in the church and other guys who I respected them and I wanted their marriage. And I said, hey, like, how do you love your wife well? How do you do these things? Um, and a lot of those people still speak into my life to this day. Um, other guys that were, you know, great fathers, I came in and I said, like, listen, there's no copyright in the kingdom. Like, teach me, Jedi, uh, to be your apprentice and to figure out, like, how to raise kids because they had already raised their kids and I saw how their kids turned out. And I know there's no magic formula to it, but I... I just kind of needed some guidance on, you know, where do I even begin with this idea of discipleship? How do I, how do you pray for your kids? Tell me exactly what you're praying for you over your kids. Um, talk to me how this this is something you and your wife do together, and and how do you lead out in that? And so I find that in our church, there's a lot of people who are winging it, and I want to bring. Um, just some encouragement to that from the scriptures, some clarity to that, and at the same time, maybe even give some practical things about um, 
how I see um, from the text um, discipleship that happens inside the family. Because if you're like me and you you came to Christ maybe as an adult or your first experiences maybe with the word discipleship began with discipleship training because you're Baptist. If you're Baptist, you got that Wednesday night discipleship training, which is a class which in some ways fundamentally misses what discipleship is because it's not exclusively a class. Um, there are some teaching there, but that's not the whole picture. Um, and so, or even meeting one-on-one, which I would learn um, kind of in our college ministry setting. Um, but even that, it's like almost entirely um, students, peers, even guys that are older than me, but it's people that are not in, largely inside of my family. And so for me, it, it, it really takes on a different form, sort of like evangelism, of how do you share the gospel with your family that knew you before, you know, when you were in diapers? Um, how do you disciple you know, your wife? How do you disciple your kids? And so I want to look primarily um, as a leader inside the family of some general things that we do and some of the passages um, that instill courage and, and insight and life into our family discipleship. One of the first ones, and I would say this is uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, what's in Hebrew called the Shema, um, reads, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one which is this incredible affirmation of, I would argue, not only the triune nature of God, but the oneness of God. And I love that it starts with verse 4 there, because all discipleship begins with God. My discipleship of my family is first and foremost about ushering them to know and experience and to glorify the one God. And so um, the writer here is calling people to listen up, to hear, to be alert, to be attentive, to be focused, and that their focus should be God-centered. And so right out the gate, um, I believe in in a God-centered focus in your discipleship, not only with your family, but your discipleship and mentorship of everyone. It goes on in verse 5 and says, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And then it goes on and says in verse 6, And these words that I command you today shall be upon your heart, like they should be graven on your heart. Then in 7 it says, You shall teach them diligently to your children. But stop. Before we get into talking about teaching your kids, I think the first thing that verse 5 and 6 have said is that you should love God passionately. And I think that this is really the place I want parents to start at in our church and in my own life, is that I want to be absolutely in love with God. I don't want my kids to think um, that God is someone that their dad doesn't care about. I want I want them to see me worship God demonstratively in our church. I want them um, to know that I pray to God because I cherish Him. That I that I I see the scriptures as honey on my lips. It's like before I think we can turn to our kids and and invite them to love God, I think parents got to love God for themselves. And I see so many parents that when it comes to this, they like don't disciple their own kid. And by the way, discipleship is not first and foremost any schools or Christian schools responsibility for sure, Um, not a secular school. Um, it's, It's not even the church's primary responsibility. The first responsibility for me uh, or for my kids is for me to disciple them. Now, in the situation, and I get into this some with our jihadist homeschool parents, it's like there are going to be situations where kids don't have parents that are non-believers or MIA or whatever, and I think that's where it comes into some of our older folk, seasoned parents that can come in and be supplemental for discipleship of kids that are in the church that don't have their parents in the church. 
But first and foremost, the discipleship, the responsibility to disciple my kid falls on me. And and therefore, like I can't just go throw them at the church and say, you know, like fix my kids. I get them all Jesus and saved. And I find that so curious that a lot of parents are like sending their kids to church, to Awana programs, to youth groups, and and then they don't attend the church themselves. They don't love God for themselves. And they're like, well, I just want my kids to have some morals. I want them to get the Jesus thing. And it's like, yeah, but if they get the Jesus thing and they love Jesus, their life is going to be in conflict with your life that does not treasure Jesus. And so I think that sometimes we don't even know, those parents don't even know what they're doing in sending their kids to the church where, at, you know, at best, if they do get saved and they come to love Jesus, their life is going to be a contradiction. And it's like, like why would they? And then on, on the other sense, I think a lot of um, kids come and get alienated from the gospel in the church because their parents um, send them to church to care about a God that they don't care about. And so right out the gate, I think that Durham is saying to us, is that before you disciple your own kids or you disciple anyone else, like be absolutely enthralled um, with the person and the glory of God yourself. Love him with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And, and may his word, his scriptures be upon your own heart. Like you can't share with others what you yourself don't have. And so learn the scriptures, learn the word. And, and you don't have to be 100 miles ahead of your kid. You just got to be one step ahead, one day ahead. Know one more thing than your kid in the scriptures and entrust that to them. Okay, so that's where it starts out, is that all discipleship that begins in the family, I would argue, begins with a parent loving Jesus with all that they are, and that that is a magnet to drawing the kid in to love what you love. Listen, if if kids are going to love the OU Sooners, because I love the OU Sooners, and there's a certain level of magnetism that comes with that, it's not infallible, but that happens, it, it it will also happen as you love Jesus. And because the true God and the idols both draw the same way, all right? I did just call OU football an idol, and you guys got to understand that's, that's like real talk. All right, so verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. Now, this doesn't say you should teach them haphazardly. It doesn't say, you know, you kind of every once in a while. It says diligently teach them to your children. It's going to be work. It's going to take energy. It's going to take focus and attention. And, and you can't give your leftovers to this. And so it says you shall talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And that's like a real Hebrew way of saying disciple your kids absolutely everywhere. They sit them down, disciple them. They stand up, disciple them. They come in, they go in, disciple them. And so um, we have some set things that we do um, when we're sitting at the house. And then there's kind of like, structured things that go with that that I'll talk about in a minute. And then at the same time, we have organic moments, like we're driving to the to jiu-jitsu and my kids are bringing up questions. We're talking, you know, we're listening to music and something pops in. I'm asking them interactive questions and and trying to engage them. And so there's organic times. And, and a lot of times, the situation of your family will always bring these up. Like one kid punches another kid. By the way, I got five kids, uh, nine, six, four, two, and one, uh, the Fab Five. And inevitably, they're a community to themselves, and they create scenarios where I have to say, like, don't punch your sibling in the eye socket. I have to say, like, don't lie um, when you get caught doing something. These are all discipleship moments, and they can't just be seen as, I need to discipline my kids so that they don't act the fool in Walmart. Now, that's good that your kid doesn't act the fool in Walmart. It's not like anybody even noticed, but 
Like it's good that that happens, but much bigger than that, um, corrective discipline and then formative discipline, those are two different things, are both working not so that your kids don't ruin your reputation in the street, but those are both working so that your kid comes to know who Jesus is, what truth is, and they come to walk in obedience to him. And so you shall teach them diligently to your children. Um, let me tell you this. There's nights I come in, I'm exhausted. There's days I wake up and I've got like a haze in my eyes. There's times where um, I've got to push through the flesh in order to do my deepest desire that the Spirit has for me, and that is to raise up my children in the knowledge and admonition of the Lord. Okay, so talk about them. Um, you got to open your mouth. I know some of you are maybe not great at communicating your heart to other people, but this is a skill that you need to get good at of talking to your kids. Let me put it in this terms. Your kids should not learn about sex from their friends, first and foremost. They should learn about sex from you. They should not learn about greed and money management, first and foremost at school, as though school even teaches anything about money management. But like they should not learn that there. They should learn that from you. And so get out in front of the teaching, open your mouth, and diligently teach the Word of God and what the implications of the Word of God have to do on their life straight up everywhere that you go. Verse 8, Deuteronomy 6, You shall bind them as on sign on your hand, and they shall be a frontlets between your eyes. This is what your hands do. You is, is everything that you do in the frontlets of your eyes. Verse 9, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is that your home should be a discipleship factory that produces disciples, that the Word of God should be visible, um, the focus of your home and your family. Um, I know a lot of times we talk in churches about mission statements. Businesses have mission statements. Does your family have a mission statement saying that this family is about this? Um, we've even tried to orient our living spaces in our house where the TV is not the center of attention, and so it's more conducive for conversation and and for some of the family discipleship things that we want to do. We want to be very centered around the dinner table. And so um, even how you shape your house and post the Word of God in your house, and even how you, you make those things central um, in your focus yourself is critical. And so how are you orienting your home um, to be a laboratory, a factory for discipleship. All right, so here's kind of what a few practical um, things that we're doing. Um, oh, one thing, um, Ephesians, which is also an important passage for us. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3 reads, Children, this is, their, this is their commission from God as children, obey your parents in the Lord, right? For this is right. As parents follow the Lord, children are commanded by God to follow the Lord in their parents, for this is a right thing. This is a righteous thing. Honor your father and mother, which is a throwback to Exodus and the Ten Commandments. This is the first commandment with a promise. The, the commandment to honor your father and mother comes with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So you want your kids to have a life that goes well for them, and you want them to have life abundant in their existence. They need to learn that obedience, that as they obey the Word of God, it goes well for them in ways it wouldn't otherwise. And that if they disobey God and they pursue after sin and after um, the flesh, that their existence will be cursed. So a lot of times when we come into discipline, um, uh, corrective discipline that is, and our kids do something well, we kind of interact with them, we set them down, we say, okay, what did you do? What, what is the expectation there? What do we tell you to do? And then we sit down and we say, 
like if you obey, you get blessings. And like that may be free time, that may be um, getting to watch something they want to on the TV during the weekend. Um, that may mean, hey, we're going to get ice cream later. But if you disobey, like that's when we're going to engage discipline, um, whether that's like time out or maybe it's like spanking or maybe we're taking something away from them, like something um, that they really want to do. And we have to r- restrict some things so that they understand that if you obey those blessings, if you disobey, it's cursed. And, and I'm a filter in some ways or an, uh, an ambassador from God trying to teach them this reality of, that's going to follow them the rest of their life, that um, obedience is the pathway to life and disobedience is the way to be cursed, um, and this is why we need grace. And so um, Deuteronomy 6 is, is one of those formative passages. We'll come back to the last passage at the end. All right, so practically, what are some things the Corsos are doing? And I want to say this right out the gate. We are not perfect. Um, there is no magic bullet or formula, um, but this is just, I want to put out there some things that we're doing, and I hope that maybe it would help some of you guys um, that are thinking through this thing like like we are. All right, so first off is that we do a morning and evening. Um, Psalm 1 says that the righteous man, he, he meditates on God's Word um, day and night, and so for us, I think there's a pattern of discipleship, both for yourself and for your family, that mornings are a critical time and evenings are a critical time. I think some people want to say they're a morning person or an evening person. I think that there's um, value in spending time with the Lord in both. And so right out the gate uh, for the morning, um, we get our kids up, and um, our church does expository preaching verse by verse, book by book. And so our whole church is commissioned to read the same passage of Scripture every single day. And so in the mornings, we read that passage with our kids. And this is where what we're doing in our church and what we're doing with our family overlap, and it's not redundant, it's the same thing. And so they're hearing the same sermon on Sunday mornings. We study it at house church together with our other uh, like kind of um, families that we, we break bread with. And then every single day as a family, we're going over that. So right out the gate, we have that passage of Scripture, but before we go to eat on it and we feast there at God's Word, we pause and we pray. And I teach my children, like, we can't understand this passage without God's help. So let's go to God for His Spirit that He might illumine our eyes and our minds and hearts to understand this passage. And so we pray over our time in the Word. We read the Word, we study the Word. Now, when we first started, like, my my kids were illiterate, and so I'd have to read all the time. But as my kids have gotten older, both in our morning and evening discipleship, my kids can read the passage, and then I just kind of interact. I make some comments. I ask some questions kind of as we go. And so they read the passage. Usually it's not lengthy. It's probably an average of like 10 verses or something. Uh, Maybe at times we'll read the whole chapter for context. Um, But we read that passage. I ask a few questions. They kind of answer and interact. Um, like right now, the word propitiation is in First John, and so I'm interacting with my kids about what does the word propitiation mean? Um, and so they kind of they like, I have no idea, and so that gives me an opportunity to launch into that. At the end of that time, we kind of choose three things that we can pray from this passage, because I'm discipling them not only to see Jesus in the text and to understand and rightly divide the word, but I'm teaching them how to pray from the Bible that if we see a character like Judas doing something shady, we pray, God, help us not to be like Judas. If we see something honorable or noble, we say, God, make us wise like that. Make us virtuous in ways that glorifies Jesus. And so it's simple, and I ask the kids, we pray that together um, 
as a family. Now, what we're doing right now, because it's December and Advent is on, is that we, after that, actually grab up the Advent um, study guide that we have. We have one for our church and then one online. And we're going through that Advent guide, and we kind of do little Advent things as a part of um, really preparing our hearts to worship Jesus well at Christmas. Now, after we start in the new year, uh, we've done some catechism stuff in the past, and we're going to come back into um, some different catechisms. I recently just bought some new ones, and so uh, I'm looking at the Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689, the Heidelberg Catechism, and the Westminster Ca- uh, Confession of Faith, but we're actually going to be using Spurgeon's Catechism, uh, which is kind of new to us. We had been doing catechism at night, which is just a, if you're unfamiliar with catechisms, um, for like 2,000 years, um, different branches of the Christian family have used systematic um, catechisms to teach the essential doctrines of Christianity to both children and to new believers. And so um, I think a lot of evangelicals today don't know what catechisms are, and it's because there's not a lot of great formative um, teaching for new believers and for children. So for our family, we're kind of circling back on some of these and um, leaning on them to help us um, frame out what are the essential doctrines, and we want to touch on kind of everything. We've been going through at night Luther's, but we're in January going to move, after Advent, we're going to move that back to the morning. So here's the deal. Between our study of Scripture, our time in prayer, and the catechism, we maybe spend five to eight minutes in the morning. Maybe it's 10 minutes if the discussion goes real long. 10 minutes. And people tell me all the time, it's like, well, I ain't got time for that. And I understand like some fathers leave before their kids even get up. So that means like the mom's probably going to have to carry that time. But I even get my littles around. My two-year-old sat in my lap today. My four-year-old sat in my lap today. Malachi read, Deacon listened, and Abe was crawling around the floor probably eating leftovers or whatever. And so we're all there, and my wife is usually setting in. Today she wasn't there. Um, but we usually all come together, and here's my deal. My kids put on deodorant. My boys especially put on deodorant every day because they'd be straight stinking. Um, they brush their teeth every day. It's crazy, but I feed my kids every day. And you know feeding your kids a meal takes longer than eight minutes. And so my thing is is that as much as brushing our teeth is a regular habit, we just study the Word every day when we get up. And for me, um, I think this is critical for us starting our day Christ-focused, and we talk about, hey, man, let's have a great day today. Let's ask God for wisdom when we hit challenges. Let's see those as opportunities to glorify Him. And it's kind of like a huddle, ready, break thing. So that's our morning. Uh, it's a time in Scripture. It's a time of prayer. And it's it's increasingly a time of catechism, um, even so brief. All right. So then we come into the evenings. And my kids, we do dinner. Now, I want to say this straight up. We don't watch TV every day. Um, we just don't think that it's good... Um, for the mental and emotional development of our kids. We think there's other things to be doing. Um, we have nights where we do board games. We have nights where we get in late from church or something. And so that just TV just doesn't happen every day, even though we are watching that Mandalorian. We're checking that out uh, even because we got that Disney Plus past the one-week trial. All right, and it's really good. So, But we do watch TV. Like We try to regulate it to like a Friday night or on Saturday instead of like expecting to watch TV every day. Um, every once in a while, we'll throw up some sports, but... Other than that, we try to like limit uh, our interest and addiction to television shows. What that creates is a lot of space in the evening. Uh, we get in, we got five kids, we got to bathe them all. Um, you know, the bathroom has to be used. Um, they got to get dressed for bed. Um, 
feed them, all of those sorts of things. And then we kind of go into our evening discipleship. And I'm going to be straight up with you. It is a marathon. It's a lot um, that we do. It usually takes us 30 to 45 minutes. We have about uh, you know six to eight books that we can read. If my children uh, act up in the evening and they're not doing what they've been supposed to be doing throughout the day, um, one of the things that we use this as a positive reinforcement is that we will take books from them that we read in the evening. Now, we keep the most essential Bibles and other things, but some of the um, other literature books that we can, we, we'll tell them, like, you've lost a book for this evening, and they'll go like, no! And I love that because our kids love to read. They love to study at night. The other thing is we use to our advantage in discipleship the fact that our kids will do anything to stay up for five more minutes. So, like, if we say, hey, we're going to go read, and you could stay up for... 30, 45 more minutes, the kids are like, yes, they like, it's like jubilant. Um, it's like we just pumped them full of candy or something. Um, but if we tell them that like, you got to go to bed 30 minutes earlier, they're like, no, we want to stay up, you know, sort of thing. So we actually use that natural gravity of kids wanting to stay up for our advantage at night. And a lot of times it's the kids who have so much more energy at night than what the parents do. And so I've I, like, sometimes when I come in, especially from a long day, I kind of stop at the door and I try to get my mind ready of my kids need me to come in here and help bathe them, to feed them, to, to wrestle on the floor with them and laugh at them. And they need me to do the discipleship tonight. And of course, if not that I'm gone, my wife has to do that. But primarily, and I want to say this to the fellas, I feel like I should be leading out as the husband and the father. Um, that I feel like part of that leadership is um, I'm the primary leader when it comes to pastoring my family. I say this over and again in our church. Every single dad is a pastor. Every single dad is a pastor. And the question is, are you pastoring? Are you shepherding your family well? And so I want to take the lead in that, knowing that sometimes my wife has to step in for me. So for the evenings, some things that we do, we have four, no, five storybook Bibles, all right? One of them is a learn to read from the Bible storybook thing that we're working with our young reader deacon right now. But the other ones are um, different ones. The, the Jesus Project, um, the main focus uh, story Bible, um, the Action Bible, um, um, the Jesus Storybook Bible, and the Heroes of the Faith. It's like a Tommy Nelson Bible. And they go Genesis to Revelation, all four of them. And so we go through each of these um, every night. And so usually what will happen is... Um, We'll sit down, we'll take some time in prayer, Malachi will read a book, I'll read a book, he'll read a book, I'll read a book. And boy, when it was just me reading, it was tough, but as my kids are getting older and they want to read, it's actually great because they're a part of discipling their brothers and sisters. It's getting them involved in what we're discussing, and they'll ask questions, and they'll make statements, and it's been really good. And so that's a lot. We read those four books. Um, then we have some poetry things that we read about Scripture. Um, then we read a church history book. Um, we have this great kind of heroes of the faith, multi-volume um, thing, and it goes everyone from like um, John G. Patton, Harriet Tubman, just great Christians throughout church history, and it gives a sketch of their life, and then it gives a series of stories of them being faithful to Christ, and it has scripture that that story puts on display in their life, and then it has interactive questions. And so... Uh, it allows the kids to kind of think through um, their own place and role in church history. And so a big part of, of uh, you know, who I am as a leader and a thinker and a pastor is, 
is shaped by history. And so I think church history is one of the best gifts um, we can give to our children, and the, the books that we use are, are fantastic. Um, the other thing is, we, like I mentioned, we've been doing the Catechism at Night. We do Luther's Catechism. I like it because it has a lot of Scripture under every single point. I dislike it because I, I'm in, I don't agree with his stance on communion and baptism. So there's parts of it that you got to kind of like understand what you're using and, and use the parts that are helpful and, and not those that aren't. Um, in addition, um, at night, we will also do um, different literature books of, that are famous, like uh, we've done Peter Pan, which I didn't know was near so like dark as the movies are not dark, but the book is very dark. We do like Where the Red Fern Grows, uh, because we're from Oklahoma, represent. and then. Uh, but primarily, we try to do something that's uh, edifying, like we did um, Chronicles of Narnia, we finished it, um, now we're almost about to finish Pilgrim's Progress, and then we'll go on to something else after that. And so um, we're not afraid to take breaks from that as well. And uh, Max Lucado put out a lot of really good Christmas story things, and we we transition into those. Um, but that's the last book that we do of the evening. Then we take time, we lay hands on our kids, we pray, put them dudes in bed, and then we pass out. And so um, that's our evening um, that complements what we're doing in the morning. There's diversity. One thing that we do tell our kids that these are these are Bible storybooks. These are stories that people illustrated from the actual scriptures and the Word of God. This is not the Word of God. We study the Word of God in the morning. We think through the stories in the evening. And I think that's a time of their imagination. And we love that they're dreaming about maybe God's Word as they go to sleep. And it's it's something that is on their heart as they lay down at night. And that's been a blessing. Lastly, we try to, and this has been way more infrequent since we've been in Colorado than when we were in France, but one of the things that we try to do is once a week we try to do family worship. This is probably not what you think it is. We got five kids, um, and we got three of them under four years old. We we get popcorn out almost like a movie night. Um, I have some djembe's and some cajones and a guitar, and they just make loud noise. And we play some music on the computer. Um, we do some different things. We let them just get get rowdy and sing praise of the Lord. My kids are wild, so they dance and all this stuff, and we just have a good time. Um, we take prayer requests, and it's crazy who my kids ask to pray for and what they pray, um, but we just let them like own um, that their prayers help change their community and the people that they love. And so we take prayer requests, and we pray over things that they're concerned about, and we as mom and dad are concerned about. We also do this really cool thing um, called we we everybody chooses one person that showed Jesus that week, and they say something encouraging about them. I think that we want to formatively disciple our kids to be encouragers and be people that look at Christ in other believers and lifts lifts that up. And so if someone does something that's admirable, um, we just kind of go around and encourage. And that also teaches them to be humble enough to receive encouragement, which I've not always been great at in my life. Um, and so it's just a powerful um, space for us to look around and say, hey, you know, you helped with the dishes this week, and that service was really like Jesus. Or mom, a lot of times, like mom cooked something great. You know, like she's Jesus on the on the mountain breaking bread and feeding uh, five thousand. But um, they um, um, find a way to look at everybody in the room and encourage them. Um, so we have a time of worship and music, and we have a time of prayer, and we have a time of encouragement. A lot of times we'll review back any passages that we've memorized out of the passage that week that we've studied the same passage every single day. 
um, from the church and from what we're going through as a church. And so we'll review that um, that evening. That usually doesn't take very long because we've, again, studied that passage every single day. Um, one of the things that we like to say is we want our kids to read the Bible less and study the Bible more. And so we actually spend a great amount of time in very small portions of Scripture, but we we feel like that's impressing it on their heart and the intention of what um, Deuteronomy wants to see there. And, of course, Scripture memorization is a part of meditation and those sorts of things. So we kind of go over those things, and then we almost always end with like a song. Like the doxology has been really good for our family, um, and we kind of sing that a cappella. And, and then we close it down, and then um, a lot of times there's snacks or something nice afterwards. So it's like something the kids look forward to. Uh, one of our things is our schedule has been so crazy uh, since we've been to Colorado. Admittedly, uh, we sometimes miss our weekly family time or even some of these mornings or evenings. Here's the thing that I get into. It's so easy. Um, like if you miss a few to feel guilty or listen, this is a grace thing. This is God's grace working in you. And, and when we fail, we just kind of say, you know, we'll pick it back up. God's mercies are new every morning and we'll try again. And, um, and I think that that, that's kind of been something that's kind of kept us going ahead and we've gotten better at it as we've went. And my encouragement to you is start somewhere. Um, if you fail, like, like repent, keep going, trust God's grace and you wouldn't be, you'd be surprised like how many like sacred moments and how formative um, these spaces will be for your kids. Um, Luke chapter six verse forty says, um, "A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher." The goal of our discipleship is that our kids would be like Jesus. That a disciple, it, it's enough when they're fully trained that there's parts of their life. Um, that look like the teacher, the great teacher, Jesus. And so our thing is that we understand that we can't, by any sort of like strategies or um, some magic bullet, we can't automatically know that our kids are going to be saved or that that God would do that in their heart, but we pray like crazy for them. And the thing that we do is we stack the firewood of teaching them the Word, um, showing them the truth, living the Word for ourselves. We stack that firewood, we soak it with gas, and we basically say, God, um, would you do the miracle of making fire fall on their heart so that their lives would burn for Christ? And for us, it's like it's enough for us that we usher them to encounter Jesus, that we show them Jesus, and we leave them into Jesus' care. And, he, and I say this, God has a habit of saving the children of his elect, of his church. And so we trust him with our kids. Um, he's, they belong to him. They've been loaned to us. And so we're just trying to be faithful um, with the, the very brief moments. And we, you'll understand this if your kids start to get older. You have very brief moments um, to impact your kids, to influence your kids, to disciple your kids. Um, and in the way in which they're, they're in your home, there's going to be a day where your kids are gone and that, that opportunity to have those regular moments is, is going to be done. And so we try to remind ourselves, like, this is a season of our lives where God has given us these disciples in our own home, and they have to take a priority over every other disciple that we have in our church or in our community. As, and, but we don't, we don't stop doing that because, again, we want our kids to see us discipling and, and impacting other people, but we want them to know that they come first. And so that's a few things that the Corsos are doing. Um, again, it's not it's probably not perfect, um, but I would love um, for you to drop some comments. Tell us what you're doing. How are you discipling your kids? Do you have any questions? Do you got any comments? Um, we would love to engage with you about this topic. Again, 
at the end of the day, it's all about the glory of God. And the way that we're going to get there is through the grace of God. And so it's his power working in us. Hope this has blessed you. Otherwise, we'll catch you on the flip side. Much love. You've been listening to The Portable Pulpit. If you've been blessed, like it, share it, subscribe to it. And for goodness sake, send us some ideas.